นโมทัสสะบุคควะทัวรหัตัวสัมมาสัมบุทัสสะนโมทัสสะบุคควะทัวรหัตัวสัมมาสัมบุทัสสะนโมทัสสะบุคควะทัวรหัตัวสัมมาสัมบุทัสสะพุทธังดำมังสังขังนามัสสะฟิวเดย์สิ่งก่อตัวคือ Labour Party ที่อยู่ในภัยพิบัติและก่อนหน้านี้ก็มีการจัดการเงินภายในธนาคารภายในธนาคารภายในธนาคารภายในธนาคารภายในธนาคารภายในธนาคารภายในธนาคารภายในธนาคารภายในธนาคารภายในธนาคารภายในธนาคารภายในธนาคารภายในธนาคารภายในธนาคารภายในธนาคารภายในธนาคารภายในธนาคารภายในธนา Crisis of faith, whatever. And I got to wondering why. Why do. Why is the case that this is so appealing? Why does the headline crisis grab attention? Because it's not even always a crisis. It's, yeah. it, it could be the case, and to some degree, it probably is the case that you know, our intelligence is alerting us to imminent. Dangers and difficulties, and and quite suitably, we we pay attention to these issues that uh, threaten our our harmony and contentment, and and in paying attention to them, we uh, avoid uh, uh, things getting worse, which is fair enough. But I'm not convinced that's really what's going on. And it seems to me that there's something in the mind that really loves crisis. Is something that is getting off on it, feeding on it, and and almost the extent where I, I would I would suggest that there's part of the mind or one mind state that is addicted to it, and socially this is the case, and and also individually. Certainly, I think it's worth uh, having a, a close look at and. And what is it that feeds on crisis? That feeds on drama? Yeah. I've uh, in the last few years I've started reading novels. I don't have Nando probably tell me off for talking about this. He says monks are not supposed to be reading novels. I never read novels. I think up until about the age of fifty, I'd read maybe five novels in my whole life. Uh, as you know, I, I I'm not a great reader. Quite the opposite, and 
But a few years ago, I don't know what happened, but somehow I started, I, I became aware that I could read a novel. Now, I'm not reading any old trash, I, you know, rest assured. I, you know, it's things like the, the Pullman trilogy, which I can recommend highly. And, uh, and more recently, Sanson's, well, what is not, it's not the trilogy. What is it when you've got four books? What is it? Is it when you've got four books? Is it a, a quilogy? <laughs> What is it? Anybody know? We've got four books? Okay, well, anyway, Sanson's uh, novels all about, and the latest one apparently called Revelation, but then Sovereign and Dark Fire. But reading these novels, I, I, I see a little bit about what, what people are getting off on. This, this very cunning way of crafting a crisis and uh, building it up, and the same as movies, isn't it? building this crisis up and and there's something getting off on it but why i mean why get off on a crisis for goodness sake i mean crisis doesn't mean exactly contentment or well-being or happiness or goodness does it? i mean crisis is crisis so why why what is it i mean movie industry is one of the biggest money spinners in the world and if it's a if it's a kind of a walt disney movie they they kind of develop this crisis and then they solve it and then you have a good weep and feel better afterwards. If it's a, an art house movie, they can develop a crisis and then leave you hanging in the middle of the crisis and you go away feeling sick. Mm. Well, what part of our minds... Is it a wholesome part of our mind? Is it wholesomeness? Is it wholesomeness that feeds on crisis? Because it is an energy. Is it a sustainable source of energy? Is it a wholesome source of energy? Is it a healthy source of energy? Uh, so my, my contemplation on this uh, leads me to, to see that it's not a healthy form of energy that we're feeding on. It's kind of like a, a false hit. You get a rush or you get a buzz of this drama that gets built up. Well, why, why is it that people get addicted to the news? The news is not talking about contentment and well-being and happiness and goodness. The news is always talking about crisis. And, and John Humphrey's voice, I mean, John Humphrey's is in a permanent state of crisis. That's why they pay him so much and you know, whipping up crises for entertainment. So why does it work, and what's really going on there? Because it's big, it's serious. But it seems to me that that when the mind is still feeling good about having a fixed position, whether it's for or against, then we're vulnerable to this kind of energy. Mm-hmm. And we can. This is not. This is not just an intellectual. Uh, exercise or an intellectual argument, but we can come down to the body and investigate what happens when, you know, when you're watching a movie or you're listening to gossip or, or reading a novel or, or whatever. Or, or the same thing with, with uh, watching road accidents. You see how many people gather around to watch road accidents. Yeah. Or racing, that's the same thing, isn't it? You know, the Olympics, massive 
expensive crisis that's being constellated. Now, yeah, I should say that uh, you know I'm not I'm not suggesting that all all of these are, are equally uh, unhealthy or, or equally uh, um, dangerous, but still the dynamic of setting up a drama and then getting off on it, feeding on it, is things that we really need to look at. Because if we do get addicted to it in a social level of how society we live in is addicted to this world of, of crises, well, then I, I think the same thing goes on inwardly. Yeah. Look what's going on in our minds when we come to sit and, and everything is really good. There's, we've finished the day's work. There's nothing to do. And isn't it the case that the mind likes to stir up trouble, stir up fantasies of, of things that are already finished. We've gone over and over and over and over them, and, or things that haven't happened yet and we can't control them, but we speculate and go over and over and over. What's going on? I think, to some degree anyway, what's going on is this addiction to crisis, this addiction to drama. We're fascinated by it, we're feeding on it. It's producing chemicals that our body is addicted to. And it's uh, it's a kind of like in a way it's a, sort of like it's a it's a like any other habit, any other drug addiction that has got a certain pattern that um, it's just will is not enough. Mm-hmm. Like some of the speech habits that we might have, things that we say and, or do, and you know, oh, I really want to stop saying that or stop doing that, and just an act of will doesn't do it, right? So I would suggest that if, uh, if we look at this and, and consider it as a whole body-mind contemplation, and again emphasize not just as a mental exercise, because we, can, we could argue, argue endlessly about the validity of this opinion, but if we really come down to the body and we feel what's going on and to see whether, whether it's something we, we actually want to maintain, being in a state of crisis, Imagined crisis. There's a lot of the time it's not even real crisis. It's an imagined crisis that we whip up so that we can feel like there's something going on. Yeah. And we get the sense of, of certainty. Yeah. I am for this or I'm against that. Mm. I agree with this or I disagree with that. Yeah. Who wants... Who wants Gordon Brown to step down and have a re-election of the leader of the Labour Party? Don't, this is not a question. I don't want to, a show of hands. Yeah. Who wants Obama to win? And who wants George Bush and Mrs. Palin to win? Uh, again, I don't want a show of hands. Yeah. But we can look at these things and what does it feel like? It's, oh, I really want, I really want that. Now, in that case, you might be completely indifferent. But maybe it's cricket. Yeah. Or maybe something else. But the feeling in the body when we're taking a fixed position, what does it feel like? If we examine that, and in my experience is when you examine that, it always feels partial. It's not whole. It's like it's always incomplete. The feeling of even if what you're for, like you know, wisdom and compassion, that's what I'm for. I'm for lots of wisdom and compassion 
and I'm also for the Buddhist path of practice leading to wisdom and compassion. Well, these days I have some equanimity about this matter, but I can remember when I was a lot younger and getting feeding on really grasping at the uh, Buddhist teachings and pitting them against other teachings. I was a little bit of a Buddhist fundamentalist uh, at one stage. And so we, we, we don't want to just argue ourselves out of this position. Uh, it's not what I'm, I would encourage, but rather as an investigation of mindfulness to come into the body and feel, is this peaceful? Is this productive? Is this sustainable? Is this beautiful? Is this what my heart really longs for? This feeling of being partial, being for something or being against something. And I know for myself it's not. This conditioned being partial for things all the time, taking positions for or against. Or you can can also uh, take the position of being not for anything or not against anything. You say, oh, I'm somebody who's not for anything. And we start letting go of our views and opinions because we, we can understand the argument about why that's not so healthy and doesn't need to balance and so But then we can attach to, there's something in our mind that then grasps at the idea of being not for anything or not against anything. Well, that's very woolly-minded. And but if we practice investigation, if we really contemplate these things with interest you know, and really consider as a whole body-mind investigation what's going on, Maybe what we start to come across is what I think is, is what the Buddha is referring to by the middle way. This position, it's not a position, but rather it's a perspective. That awareness, that mindfulness, that watchfulness that's able to see the mind tending to take a position for or tending to take a position against. And if we watch this, we can see this, how the I gets constantly, I am for this, I am against that. And if we listen to what the Buddha had to say about the insubstantiality of his eye, and we get interested in that investigation, you say, well, yeah, this is how I gets born. Even like being, even like attaching to goodness. Today's Dhammapada verse, those of you that got the Dhammapada full moon day reflection in the mail this morning, uh, was about verse 341, which was uh, about the Buddha pointing out just this, that, that even attaching to good leads to the tediousness of rebirth. He wasn't talking about just becoming good and taking a position against evil or bad, but rather shifting our perspective on all the activity of the heart and mind, all the experiences, good, bad, agreeable, disagreeable, shifting our perspective so it's a non-grasping relationship, moving back into the mindfulness that simply sees, sees goodness but doesn't attach, sees that which is not good, sees badness, wrongness, but doesn't attach. And this perspective, this is an, this is an option that if we don't have the right education, we probably doesn't even occur to us. And sadly, and to me, I must say still it's surprisingly, it always surprises me, I'm travelling around and see that people don't know about this. I guess you get used to it after a while, you just take it for granted, this is what we're doing. You know, when we start to suffer, we start to get lost in partiality and having, getting off on being a somebody, taking a fixed position for or against, and sooner or later we'll start to suffer. When we experience this, well then we pull back and we reflect on, say, where am I grasping and holding on? 
Well, if we don't know that there is the middle way, if we don't suspect that there is this possibility, well, we don't contemplate it that way, and that's very difficult. If we do suspect that it's there, and, and hearing the Buddha's teachings, well, then what starts to dawn is, a, is the question of, well, what, where am I going for refuge? Where do I get energy from? And if we're practicing, well, then we start to discover for ourselves, not necessarily because we think ourselves there, but because we start to feel it. We start to feel that there's energy. You get energy out of being mindful. We don't have to only get energy out of being for or against. There is a form of energy. There's a form of meanness, of solidity, of certainty that can come from having a fixed opinion. And that sort of energy loves crisis. It feeds on crisis, and if it doesn't have one, it'll create one. It'll worry about something. It'll create a relationship crisis, an emotional crisis, a global crisis, a personal crisis. So we can get that rush again, get that energy again. But this path of practice, the path of mindfulness, the path of awareness, the path of reflection, shows us that we can also access energy, confidence, clarity, aliveness, in other ways, yeah. no, this, is a, this is a spiritual energy. And from this perspective, if we are in this place, then how do we feel about when we listen to the voice of the news broadcaster? You know, if you've been meditating in the morning and then you turn on Radio 4, or if you want a really serious dose, you turn on Radio 5 Live. I don't know the names of the broadcasters on 5 Lives, but they've got a certain sort of more of a push. It sounds like they're... They're taking some sort of medication or something. They, you know, there's something there that's you know kind of coming down the wires. And so how does that impact on us? There's something. Oh no, this is not attractive. Yeah, because when we're in that place, when we're, when we're in that place of, of contentment, when we're in the place of dhamma, mm-hmm. then we recognise you know, these artificial crises that human beings invent to feed on. It's like junk food. It's the deluded state of mind that feeds on crisis, that creates crisis. If we have this inspiration, all of us here will have had this experience, otherwise we wouldn't be in a place like this. But then this becomes our effort to recognize the sustainable source of energy, the energy that takes us back to Dhamma, that takes us back to balance, that feeds contentment, that feeds well-being for ourselves and for others. So awareness, mindfulness, determination. This evening, the uh, now Anagarika uh, Mikhail Kanaba over here. You can call him Michael also. Um, previously from um, somewhere in Germany. Whereabouts? Huh? Leipzig. Somewhere near Leipzig in former... East Germany, and we're very happy to see him join the community. And uh, the reason he's taking up this training is because he appreciates the energy of determination and renunciation, aditana, nikamma, in in Pali. Now, uh, people who are still feeding on, on, on crisis, feeding on drama, would look at somebody like Michael and I think, you know, what a wally. <laughs> this guy's really lost the plot, <laughs> wasting his life. And people do say that. They come here, they say, oh, what a pity. You know, they see, 
<laughs> at an ordination. You know. It's not really, you see, sometimes. You say, oh, what a pity, he's wasting his life. And, well, you know, that's because they don't, they don't understand anything other than junk food. They don't realize that you can, you can get energy from just being determined you know, by making a resolution, a resolve in the mind. It's very powerful. It's not the same thing as fighting. Yeah. I think I've probably shared with you in the past how the, my own little experience of this, which was very insightful in my, my fifth year as a monk when I had gone back to New Zealand and while I was in Thailand I had uh, done what I was supposed to do with regards to giving up the habit of smoking tobacco. Uh, I was in charge, didn't allow it, and so with a little restraint and mindfulness and wise reflection I managed to give it up. But when I was in New Zealand, the other side of the planet from Ajahn Chah and, and the restrictions of the monastery and some of my old conditioned, deluded sense of self raised their head and, and, and I, I was rather um, keen on having a cigarette again. And I thought, well, it won't matter because I can stop it. I've stopped it before and I, I've got this ability to stop it. And, well, it wasn't quite so easy. I got addicted. And there I was, you know, alone as a monk trying to be inspiring in New Zealand, trying to encourage people's faith in the Buddha Dhamma. And I was hiding off in the bushes having a fag. <laughs> Very embarrassing. <laughs> Someone sneaking off to the toilet even to have a quick fag before going to give a Dhamma talk. <laughs> Oops, I think I've lost the plot, that's true. What do you do? Well... Yeah, it wasn't the same as being in the monastery with all these inspiring examples around and a lot of space to contemplate. You know, so yeah, I'll just make a determination, make an aditana. So I bow down in front of the shrine. There's the Buddha, which represents for me the possibility of complete freedom that we human beings have, perfect wisdom, perfect compassion, perfect purity. So I bow down and I make this determination in my mind, verbally, actually said it outwardly. I was alone in the room and says, for the rest of my time in New Zealand, may the Buddha bear witness to my determination to not smoke another cigarette. I said it three times, and then gone. The thought, I don't think the thought even ever occurred to me again. So, wow, that's the power of determination. You know, I had struggled so badly before trying to give up cigarettes. And I would try, and then I would have to fight the habit. This was a different energy. This was a different energy. This is spiritual energy that had come in this. And of course, this wasn't some great realization or wasn't having been blessed by some master, but it's the cultivation. Over five years of training as a monk in Thailand, you cultivate the practice of aditana parameter of, of determination or of nikamma parameter of renunciation. These are the kind of things, this is the kind of energy that, that Michael wants to tap into, to cultivate. And coming to stay in a place like this. So it's, it's, uh, it's useful, I think, to stop and, and ponder on these things. Where are we getting our energy from? You know, if we don't want to feed on the drama, if we don't want to feed on the crises that the deluded uh, world is, is feeding on, if that's not attractive to our hearts, then where are we going to get our energy from? Well, I think uh, we can contemplate these examples that the Buddha gave us, you know, mindfulness, awareness, determination, renunciation, loving-kindness. Yeah. Loving-kindness is yeah. to have a conscious, a conscious relationship with the heart's capacity for being loving. And sometimes you can read about the Buddha's teachings on loving-kindness and 
think, oh yeah, that's beautiful, I think that's a good idea, that's why I'm a Buddhist, yeah, I go along with that, but then don't do anything about it. Or maybe you, you reflect on it a bit and you think, oh yeah, I have a heart of loving kindness. Yeah, I love my mother, I love my dog, and I, you know, if I put my mind to it, I can love all beings, and if I try hard, I can even love some of those politicians that are dislikable. But that's not the same thing as as really investing in it. And it sadly can show up at times when we do find ourselves in an actual crisis. You know, for instance, the crisis of of loss that comes, you know, the emotional crisis that comes when we, we lose a loved one. Yeah, I, I see this, uh, not really, in this position. You know, people will come to the monastery and possessed by grief. Mm-hmm. Possessed by grief. And it's not because they didn't love the loved one. Yeah. They did love the loved one, the one they've lost. Mm-hmm. They loved the the partner or the child or the friend that had passed away. But they didn't have a sufficiently conscious connection to the relationship, a conscious relationship to their capacity for being loving. And so when the pain of loss comes over, it overshadows. And I sometimes when I sit and, and listen to people who are sharing their grief, and and I'm not I'm not a great one for for telling them stories about how they're going to be reborn in a better place and all that. I don't personally know anything about whether they've been reborn in a better place. I don't think it's a terribly kind or wise thing to uh, tell people that, if you don't know that's the case. But what I do try to do is to listen to the pain, listen to the grief, listen to their feeling of loss. But then, when the time is right, to try and reflect back to them, remind them that that there's still this love, that they're still loving the person that they've lost. And to somehow to remember that, to come back to that, because that's an energy. That's an energy, that's a beautiful energy that can sustain us, that can support us. But if we don't have a conscious relationship with that energy, if we don't know how to go to that place, if all we've been doing in our life is actually giving it out unconsciously, or sometimes it happens in the case that for some people they're feeding on it, all they do is they feed on other people loving them. Taking, taking love. Seeking it. You know, going around from relationship to relationship looking to be loved. And they may succeed with a certain, to a certain extent, a certain quality of love. But what they haven't realized, and it shows up when they do find themselves in, 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 a, in a position of, of, of lo- the pain of loss and, or threatened with loss, the anxiety that comes, it shows up they can't go to that place where they have the potential for simply being loving. And we have that. And so long as we're feeding on crisis, so long as we're feeding on drama, this can obscure it. It's like I said, it's a a cheap rush, a cheap buzz to get off on crisis. So uh, as a reflection this evening, I suggest that perhaps that when you uh, see these newspaper headings or you listen to the tone of the voice of the news broadcaster and, you, and how it's, it's trying to whip up the sense of crisis and doom and gloom and, and so on, to instead of getting into an intellectual argument or judgment about how it is, rather come inwards, 
come into the body, feel, feel where we feel. Where does it, where does it affect us when somebody's whipping up a crisis? You know? Or again, as I said before, gossip, the sensationism. Or, you know, or, yeah. Where does it affect us? Feel it in the body, become mindful of it. And then in the exercise of becoming mindful of it, we let go of it just a little bit. And then we remember our refuge, our refuge in awareness, which is a sustainable form of energy, something really worth cultivating. And thank you very much this evening for your attention. <laughs> Thank you.